Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today uh, and the entire uh, week of Kobru is dedicated in honor of Linda Towel by her grandchildren. Also in, uh, dedicated in celebration of Benedetto Kalun's Hebrew and English birthday, which both fall out on the same day this year by his wife, Rachel. There you are. Um, if I could just have uh, an opportunity to buy a lottery ticket today with you, uh, I'd really appreciate going 50-50 on that. Breakfast in the class is dedicated also in honor of Alan Light, Amnon Ben Yisrael Khana, by his daughter and son-in-law, Danielle and Rafi Hasbani. Um, also dedicated in loving memory of Lois Wagner, Aleah Shalom Lidur Shmat, Leah Rochel Bat Leib. On her second Azkara, yard site sponsored by her children, Nancy and Robert. I uh, understand that the yard site is this week, um, so it should be a big zechut for her. Uh, of course, a week of breakfast in the class dedicated loving memory of Naftali God, Naftali Ben Nisan God, from his amazing wife Shifra God, and his sons Michael and Joe, and his daughters Lily and Peggy. Uh, finally, the week of Cobra is also dedicated by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity of good today and every day. And of course, if you'd like to help support us by purchasing merch from Chazak and uh, the Safra Synagogue, you can find it at capacityforgood.com. My friends, there's something very powerful about the story of Shemot that I'd like to share with you. We read about a very interesting moment, a moment in Moshe Rabbeinu's life. Moshe Rabbeinu... Uh, he has a very uh, rocky life, as we started explaining yesterday. He's born into this house, uh, the house of the Gadol, of the great uh, rabbi, the great leader of the generation, whose name is Amram. His mother, her name is Yocheved. Someone found out only this morning that Yocheved was also Shifra, the midwife that saved all the baby boys by not killing them according to Paro's decree. Her son then gets found out, uh, is going to get found out, so they put him in the river, and he's also saved uh, as he flows down the river by Batya, the daughter of Paro. Brought to the house of Paro, sees the Egyptian man, kills him to save the Jewish man, and is forced to run, to flee the country, uh, in order to be able uh, to not get killed for what he's done. In exile, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu meets the daughter of, uh, of Yitro Tziporah, and uh, they are married. And Yitro and y Moshe Rabbeinu is tending to the sheep of Yitro in the forest. And uh, our rabbis tell us that one of the sheep ran away and Moshe Rabbeinu chases the sheep all the way into the desert. And there in the middle of the desert, suddenly he sees the most amazing sight, the sight of a bush that is burning but is not being consumed. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu sees. He turns to see this wondrous occurrence. And God saw that Moshe turned to see, and he spoke to him from the burning bush, and he said, Moshe, Moshe. And Moshe says, Hineni, I, I'm present, I'm here, I'm ready, let's go. Moshe is told by God to approach, and he tells him something very interesting. Take your shoes off from on your feet. For the earth that you are standing on is Admat Kodesh. It is holy land. Now, the rabbis point out an interesting 
synonymous concept. That there's another place where uh, Jewishly we don't wear shoes. That's of course a house or apartment in Manhattan. But otherwise, <laughs> other than that. Sorry? Tisha B'Av is when we take off our shoes. But it's not that we're, we're not wearing shoes. What I mean is that the problem is that you're not supposed to wear shoes. It's not that you have a mitzvah to walk around without shoes. You just can't have shoes on. Okay? Where? Bet HaMikdash. In the temple, the Bet HaMikdash, the Kohanim, they would walk around without shoes. Why? Well, think about what God told Moshe. Take off your shoes. Why? Because the land you're standing on is holy. Where else is the land you're standing on holy? In the temple, in the Bet HaMikdash. So a simple understanding of this is that the Kohanim don't wear their shoes because it's holy. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't wear his shoes because the land he's standing on is holy because God is going to reveal himself in that place. Machloket, which mountain exactly this mountain was that Moshe Rabbeinu was standing on? Different opinions. Which mountain it was? Was he standing on Mount Sinai? Was he standing on Har Moriah? Targum, ben, Targum Yonatan ben Uziel says there was a combination of these two mountains uh, where, uh, where some of the earth was transported from one to the other. Lots of what to say here. But the point is, this mountain was holy. Moshe Rabbeinu took his shoes off. I think, though, that there's another element here that we are learning that I think is really kind of beautiful to, to contemplate, to think about, and perhaps to allow to penetrate our armor and maybe change us a little bit for the better. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu, the reason why he gets to this incredible experience there's two things that we are understanding that lead Moshe to this place. Let me explain what I mean. I want you to imagine for a minute, a person finds the most amazing woman. She's so out of his league, okay? Aruch Hashem, he meets her when he's still not married, <laughs> right? And, and what's it called? He's very impressed and he decides this has got to be the woman that's going to be my wife. Uh, you know, she's the most unbelievable person in the world. Can't imagine what it would be like to be married to her, to build a family with her. Wow, unbelievable. Now, she still has to agree to marry him. What gets a person to a place where someone out of their league is willing to accept them? I see some of your faces are saying, I don't know. I didn't marry someone that's out of my league. <laughs> uh, other, one of, other ones of you are looking around and are saying... You know, Baruch Hashem, I, she married me. I'm married out of my league, but I don't know why she married me. <laughs> I can see on your faces, by the way. Yeah, I any. You're all just lucky. I, the camera's facing this way. Otherwise, half of you would be in big trouble. Okay. All of you would be in big trouble. All right. The answer is that there's something that you did, that you achieved, that you worked on, that you built, that actually, to this person, they respect that about you. They love that about you. So as an example, it might be that you have amazing midot. It might be that you have an amazing bank account. I don't know your wife, okay? But the point is, it might be that you're a big tamil chacham. It might be that you're the kindest person ever. It might be that you're a real family man. She saw the way your family was, the way you were around people, around you know, your nephews, your nieces, and she thought to herself, wow, this is a nurturing person. I want to marry this person. There might be many different things, but there's something about you that led you to that opportunity. When someone hires you for a job, 
they notice something about you that makes you a candidate for that job. You're trustworthy, you're good with numbers, you're a resourceful person, whatever the case might be, okay? What made God choose Moshe? The, the Pasuk is telling us two different things here. And it's important to look at both of those things. The first thing is, it tells us that Moshe Rabenu is on this wild goose chase. He's following this sheep out into the middle of nowhere. The Midrash tells us that he finally catches up to the sheep where the sheep is drinking uh, from some uh, uh, desert oasis. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, I didn't know that you were thirsty. If I would have realized, I would have carried you uh, to the water. Moshe Rabbeinu feels the compassion for this sheep that's thirsty. Carries the sheep back. Beautiful, very uh, humble, also very compassionate. We're seeing that about Moshe Rabbeinu. But it's not only that that we're seeing about Moshe Rabbeinu. We're seeing something else. We're seeing that Moshe Rabbeinu is tending not to one sheep, but he's tending to a flock of sheep. And one sheep runs away. Now you have a choice. You know, I see this people, this, um, I mean, people here are much more experienced than me in this, but you ever see somebody who has a bad investment in their portfolio? And they're so busy trying to fix that one stray bad investment that they throw what they call good money after bad. They'll tax their other investments. They'll sell off other properties to be able to pour into this property, which is, this is a bad investment. You lost the money, you made a bad decision, cut your losses. You'll make money on other things. But there's people who have a fixation Sometimes it's the ego. They, the ego can't allow them to feel like they made a, a wrong decision. Sometimes they, can't, they don't want it on their record. So they'll chase that bad investment with money from other investments that those are doing well. My friends, Moshe Rabbeinu seems to make a bad choice here. He's got a flock of sheep, lots of them, and then one runs away. You're running after the one sheep, what'd you do with the rest of them? And the answer our Chachamim give is something which I think is very beautiful. And this is what God saw in Moshe. God saw in Moshe that he had, he had an understanding. And he realized that every flock is made up of one single sheep. Plus another single sheep. Plus another single sheep. If you have a leader, a rabbi, a CEO, who only takes care of the company but doesn't invest any time in any of the individuals, because none of the individuals are worth it, then you know for sure that his investment in the company, in the mass, in the group, is disingenuous. He says he cares about everybody, but everybody is made up of everybody. What Moshe illustrated to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is this understanding that the mass is made up of individuals. And when he ran after the sheep and he had compassion, he wasn't angry. See what you made me do? I left the other sheep. Da, 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 da. You know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is my guy. But there's one more test that Moshe has to pass. Even after all of this, and it's quite clear in the Pasuk, for those that are paying attention, that this is a test. 
God conjures up this amazing miracle of a burning thorn bush that is not being consumed. Now, we know God doesn't make miracles. He doesn't need to make, correct? Any miracle Hashem doesn't need to make, He doesn't do miracles unnecessarily. Miracles happen only when they have to. Because otherwise, that pattern of miracles, it breaks the free will cycle of a person because they, they see God's not just clearly, but too clearly, to be able to be a person who can live with a dilemma and make good choices because of their moral fiber, because of their moral character, not because they're going to be punished or rewarded. Okay? So God doesn't like to do miracles. You want to catch Moses' attention? Make a fire. Why did God need to make a fire that was burning in a bush but not consuming it? And then the Pasuk says something very clear. Vayar Hashem kisar lirot. And God saw that Moshe turned to see. And he speaks to him from the bush. And he says, Moshe, Moshe. And Moshe's job commences. Clearly indicating that if Moshe Rabbeinu said, that's a nice fire, don't really have time for that now. Got to get back to my other sheep. Right? Moshe would not have been chosen. And it's not just that Moshe would not have been chosen. It's that it would have been indicated that Moshe was not the one. Because the one, the chosen, he could not have run past this and not paid attention and not stopped. So I want to suggest something that I think is very beautiful, is very powerful, that emerges from, uh, from this moment. And then we'll see how these two things that Moshe does lead him to this place. Moshe Rabbeinu looks at a bush which is made of thorns. Our rabbis tell us that why did God choose a thorn bush of all things? Surely God should have appeared to Moshe, you know, in a magnificent uh, apple tree, you know, in something wonderful, I don't know. You know, in, uh, uh, what's that, uh, chrysanthemums, you know, big, beautiful, looks like explosion of flowers. That's what God should... God's appearing in a thorn bush? Right, rentals are expensive these days? What's going on? This was the best I could get at short notice? The answer, my friends, that Chazal give us, our rabbis teach us, that God wanted to show Moshe that the Jewish people are suffering. I'm also in a place of suffering. A thorn bush is a place which pricks people, which hurts people, which scratches people. So therefore, God was saying, I'm also in a place of pain. Because my people are in a place of pain. I feel my people's pain. So where is God's dwelling now? Not in the most magnificent sunset. Not at the top of a soaring peak of a mountain. But down here on earth in a place where, uh, of pain, of suffering, uh, of degradation. My friends, that's what really Moshe Rabbeinu saw. Moshe Rabbeinu saw that the spark of God was capable of being in the lowest of places. And yet, eneno ukal. The fire was not going out. The bush was not being consumed. God was capable of being with the person at his lowest point. And the person at his lowest point, the bush at its lowest point, was capable of having the fire of God in it. And it was not too much. It could handle it. Moshe Rabbeinu understood the symbolism in this uh, image. And he says, I understand 
that when people are downtrodden and low and broken, when people are not keeping Torah and mitzvot, they're not in the best place, there's nothing beautiful, flowering, productive about them. All they do is hurt other people. That's what a thorn bush is good for. It hurts other people. It doesn't say a rose bush that has thorns. It says a thorn bush. There's nothing good about this person in this moment. Moshe Rabbeinu says, wow, what a beautiful thing to see. That fire, that the fire could be here, that the passion, the energy could be here. And there's still more left in this thing. It doesn't become consumed. It doesn't give out. It doesn't give in. My friends, this Moshe Rabbeinu, a Moshe that could see the value in the one that strayed from the pack. A Moshe Rabbeinu that could see the value in the ones that are down in the dumps, the ones that are hurting, the ones that are suffering, the ones that are angry, the ones that have nothing, that produce nothing, the ones that are not righteous, that are not holy. Moshe Rabbeinu could see the Shekhinah in them, could see that there was a fire in them, could see that there was more left to bring out of them. God says, this is my man. But had he not been able to see that, my friends, you know, if you're a positive person, you think positively. If you're a negative person, you think negatively. If you're a negative person and you see a bee in a flower, what do you say to yourself? Hate bees. Hate bees. They sting you, they're taking all the nectar from the flower. You're a positive person, what do you say? Look how beautiful this is. Flowers giving life to the bee. The bee is actually spreading pollen, brings more flowers. This is a moment of tichiyat metim. This flower, although it looks it's a lot like it's alive, it's got a shelf life of a couple weeks. And the bee is ensuring that flowers and grass, that pollen is spread, and that actually will be able to bring uh, more growth to the world. A positive person looks at it like that. A negative person gets on a flight, pouring rain, gets on vacation, he's flying into the clouds, oh, the worst. Gets up to above the clouds, there's blue skies above the clouds. What does a negative person say? This is where we should live. God making us live in this ridiculous, you know, this is what we really want the whole time. Positive person breaks through the clouds. What does he say? Wow, unbelievable. You know what you learn? You see that above every gray cloud, it's really blue skies, sun shining. And maybe you just have to penetrate, you have to break through, and then the sun shines again. Positive people see the same thing and see positivity. Negative people see the same thing and see negativity. God understood. He was showing, testing Moshe. I want you to understand, I already know that you're the guy. But I want you to see that you're the guy. And I want you to understand that there's no one else for this job. Because the greatest leader in the world is the person that's willing to spend the time with the lowest of the low. And if you have no time for the lowest of the low, then you're not the guy. Only this week I was reminded of this concept. My son is in Yeshiva Katana, and they had this week a visit from Chief Rabbi Mervis, the Chief Rabbi of the UK. My son went to introduce himself and he said, my name is Yitzchak Farchi, my father is Rabbi Shlomo Farchi. He sent special regards to the, to the chief rabbi. He was just knighted, by the way, um, in England as well. Anyway, the chief rabbi says, oh, send my best regards back to your father. 
and please thank him for helping me out in the airport. My son comes back. He says, you know, he sent regards back, and he also said, please thank your father for helping me out in the airport. What'd you do? How'd you help him out in the airport? My friends, I think it's probably, I'm not sure if it's 10 years ago or 15 years ago that this happened. We were in the airport. I think our flight might have got delayed. We went into the uh, terminal to get some food because we didn't have food and it wasn't going to be a few more hours. So we went to the place. We didn't know what the hashgachot are. I'm very strict on hashgachah. Uh, you know, uh, maybe compared to some other people, I'm probably not as strict on hashgachah as compared to other people, okay? But I'm pretty strict, so I want to understand exactly what's going on, which teuda, who do they have, etc., etc. Anyway, the guy standing right behind me is Rabbi Mervis. So I'm looking at this place. Uh, it was uh, in the terminal in, in, uh, in Ben Gurion. It's called Aroma. They had a hashkacha certificate over there. Not all the, the areas have a hashkacha that I would eat, but that area had a hatudat hashkacha. I think at the time it was Khatam Sofer. So I called someone who knows hashkachot well in Israel. I said, I'm in the airport. Is this a good hashkacha? Because you have to check every five minutes. It's like, uh, you know, the weather uh, hashkacha in Israel. Anyway, so I said, what's it called? I said, is this hashkacha good? You know, maybe it got died and maybe the guy died and it was taken over by some uh, priest. I don't know how it works. Everything is a little bit interesting over there. So I said, let me know. Is this good? The guy says, good. I turn around. I say to the chief rabbi, I say, he wasn't the chief rabbi then. I say to the chief rabbi, I say, yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's good hashkacha. Thank you very much. Order a sandwich. 15 or 10 years later, he remembers to thank me for helping him out in the airport. Who was I helping? I was helping myself. I was checking the hashgacha for me. And what did I do? I turned around to the guy behind me online and I told him, yeah, I just checked it out, it's good. 15 years later, he remembered to say thank you. Because great people, you know how they, exceed, you know how they succeed? You know how they uh, become great? Not by doing great things, by doing small things. Not by remembering great favors, but by remembering small favors. Not by treating great people with respect, but by treating small people with respect. And perhaps asking themselves, how do I ever even know the difference between who's a great person and who's a small person? Hashem should bless us to learn these lessons and incorporate them in our lives. To never give up hope on anyone. To treat everyone with the ultimate amount of respect to recognize that there's always more in people's tank if we bring it out. And Be'ezrat Hashem, through this process, we will grow and we will help the ones around us grow as well. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.